This is Being Better, the podcast about the science behind mindsets and practices that make us happier, wiser, and healthier. My name is Julia Spohr, and I am your host. Join us as each week we break down scientific research and bring you true stories of people from all walks of life to help you make better decisions that will shape your tomorrow. You are one of us now and we love you. This is Being Better, your go-to place to learn about happiness and health, which are the true measures of success. So you can kind of think of this show as a course in productivity, only if, you know, it wasn't toxic. So yeah, welcome to the show. I don't know if you noticed, but we have a new logo and we have a new intro. Um, Don't worry, everything else is the same. You're going to still get the same content, wholesome advice and breakdown of different scientific research. Uh, But yeah, we just needed a bit of a rebranding because you know being better is one year old now we have we are starting off uh, this new year with you know some new music to kind of have a fresh start but yeah being better is one year old i mean it's it's incredible it's like we are a fully functioning you know starting to eat solid food and trying to you know get out of poopy diapers podcast i don't know if actually if one-year-olds are able to get out of poopy diapers well this is my knowledge of children don't don't leave me babysitting if you are my friend and you want me to babysit mm, reconsider this i don't even i don't even know what babies are supposed to eat anyway yeah it's great to have you here thanks for joining us and i think you will enjoy uh, this episode it's going to be all about overcoming depression and anxiety and also about gaining a better understanding of the science behind these conditions in this episode i was joined by sadie who is the host of the she persisted podcast and she's also a psychology major and an online creator On her show, She Persisted, again, it's a great show, you can find it in the episode description. On her show, you can find many interviews with mental health experts and all kinds of people that are sharing their own stories um, to break down the stigma surrounding mental health and inspire people, especially young people, to create their life worth living. So this episode is all about overcoming depression and anxiety, especially among teens and young adults. It's about dialectical behavior therapy. It's about caring for loved ones or friends who have depression and how we can help them, how we can be the person that they need us to be in at that hard time. We bust some myths uh, regarding depression and anxiety and talk about all the pseudoscience that is out there online about how to write, fight depression, because a lot of the advice there is just pseudoscience. It's not facts, it's just people's opinions, which doesn't make it, you know, false or doesn't make it a lie, but 
it is not necessarily something you should follow. So anyway, I think you're gonna enjoy this episode. Um, check out She Persisted podcast. It's a really great resource. And if you feel like you are struggling with your life right now and you feel like there's something preventing you from achieving full happiness, then I'm gonna link some resources in the episode description uh, because yeah, resources are important and you're not alone in this and you are loved and we care about you so i am so thankful to you that you clicked on this show and i hope you have fun listening to it um so yeah thank you so much for joining me today i know that you're currently you know very busy studying psychology at upenn and doing a lot of podcasting i uh, suppose so i really appreciate the commitment thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to be here today so before we get started with the discussion, uh, let me ask you for your recommendation uh, for this week. So when it comes to the things that you've been recently reading or watching or listening to or buying or wearing or using, uh, what can you share with us that you think might improve our daily um, routine at least a tiny bit? Two things. As of today, Taylor Swift's version of her Red Album has been all that I'm listening to it is an instant mood booster it makes me so happy um so obviously I have to mention that um my other recent tv show that I've been loving is Big Bang Theory never really got into it I'm a huge fan of The Office but it's hilarious and every single time I watch it I'm laughing and it just makes me so happy um so if you're looking for a good funny tv show to boost your mood it's like very relaxed and chill so it's nothing like that you have to be like super emotionally invested in or super serious so it's a great lighthearted show and I absolutely adore it so that's my second recommendation okay I love those I mean the Big Bang Theory is amazing because you like you're chilling but you can also learn some science facts and just like that's my favorite thing Mm -hmm. Um, I've been actually starting I actually started watching The Office lately and I don't get the humor I don't know why it's like really specific for me it's just kind of very like awkward humor Mm -hmm. and I sort of don't get it I mean I have been like half a season in maybe you have to wait until season three I started my (laughs) one of my ex-boyfriends made me watch the office with him and I was like this is the worst show I've ever seen this is (laughs) terrible and he was like just give it until season three I promise you'll love it um and I was like fine so I like dragged myself through the first two seasons got to season three and like watched the entire thing without him because I loved it so much and now I've seen it like literally six times um so you have to get to season three you start to like know the characters personalities and their different like dynamics and you get invested and now I'll go back and watch season one and I'm like I love it it's perfect um but a big part of it is just like how stupid and crazy they all act and you're like (laughs) this is real like what um and that's part of what makes it funny but give it until season three if you don't like it, you don't like it but that's my advice on the office okay thanks I mean it's like I I do have that sometimes with shows that I need to kind of get past um the first season like that was like that happened to me with The Good Place I really love The Good Place but again the first season just wasn't my thing so I guess The Office is just gonna have to be that commitment sort of thing first season is either phenomenal and it goes downhill from there or the first season is terrible yeah. and then from there you just get like so attached and love the show in its entirety so much so it's like one or the other and you just kind of have to feel it out but it's so funny 
Okay. I'm curious what's going to happen with me. We'll see. I mean, I have some time now <laughs> for anyone listening. Yeah, I am in quarantine. So now I can watch anything and everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for your recommendations. I'm going to post um, the link in the episode description for everyone uh, listening to um, to find that. And yeah. Now, I invited you here today because I think that the work that you do, you know, speaking about depression and anxiety, it's so important. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know any single person, um, especially in the younger generation, who hasn't struggled with mental health um, to some degree. And I think that's very scary and sad. So, yeah, I'm excited to kind of spread some awareness and talk about the darker things so we can you know uh, make our way towards the better ones I guess um so can you talk a bit about your journey with mental health I'm sure that you've been asked this question a lot of times but I think it's important for the listeners to kind of get to know your story and your background to then um kind of get understand your advice better uh so what was your story and do you think it was in any way different from the quote-unquote usual um like story that people imagine when they hear about depression yeah so I started really noticing that I was struggling with depression in seventh grade eighth grade um of my middle school years Um, And it escalated very quickly. The first time that I ever, like, saw a clinician um, about feeling depressed, I went to my pediatrician because my parents were like, we're really concerned. We don't know what to do. Um, She's not acting normal. Um, I was sleeping more. Actually, I was sleeping less, um, but I was tired all the time. My diet was messed up. Um, We had more conflict. I had really low mood, all of these kinds of things. Um. And I went to the pediatrician and he was like, you're super depressed. Like, you're going to go and see a psychiatrist this afternoon. Um, and it's really important that you go to that appointment. If you don't go, you'll spend some time in inpatient in the, in the hospital. Um, and that's one thing that's very atypical for adolescents struggling with depression. Um, not to say that teens don't often um, use higher care as a resource um, for their mental health, but for that to be like your first instance of mental health care um, isn't typical. And so I noticed that I was depressed in seventh and eighth grade, but looking back, I can kind of see how that built up over years and years. And um, the more I explore the concept of depression um, on the podcast, the more I understand that it truly is environmental and that um it is how you're you're seeing the world and your the way that you're interpreting interactions and stimuli and your internal dialogue and processing through things um and so there was a couple things at play there but when i first got diagnosed with depression and first spent some time in the hospital i was like i don't understand what's going on here like i didn't experience a giant trauma there's been no big changes recently there is no reason i should be depressed and because there wasn't a reason and i was so lucky and then i was living um at home with both my parents and i'd been very lucky growing up and i had like a happy childhood i was like i don't deserve to be this depressed like i just shouldn't be feeling this way there's no reason why um, so therefore, like, I didn't deserve treatment. I had this whole complex about this. But looking back, if you 
are what I was doing up until that point in my life was that I was looking through the world through a lens of I don't deserve love. I will never be good enough for my parents. Um, and if you look through the world in that lens, anyone's going to become depressed. Like that's a very depressing outlook yeah. to have. And I was constantly looking for evidence that supported those beliefs and those ideas. Um, and so that depression, those feelings of unworthiness and loneliness and isolation built up over years and years and years um, and led to me feeling severely depressed and developing all of these maladaptive coping mechanisms to get my needs met and to feel loved and supported and seen and heard, um, which I didn't know how to do. And so I was doing it in very ineffective ways. Can you share some of those ways that were not working for you? Yeah, of course. So um, obviously there was the whole mindset part of it, which was that I was looking for things that supported my belief that I didn't deserve love, that I yeah. wasn't going to be good enough. The kind of confirmation um, bias that can and be that I was Exactly. And that I was destined to be depressed forever. Like that was kind of how I navigated through the world. Um, to feel seen for how much pain I was in. I struggled with self-harm for a lot for a long time. Um, and it was a very external process that when I would self-harm, my parents would act very concerned. My siblings would be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Um, and I would get care and support and acknowledgement that I was in pain, that I was struggling, that I was suffering and that they could see that. So I was getting my needs met. It wasn't effective. Um, and it had a lot of consequences. Um, uh, I struggled for a really long time with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts, and that was another thing that um, got me care and concern and, and validation and support for what I was feeling because I didn't feel like it was being acknowledged or seen or um, validated for how much pain I was in. Um, I was in a lot of really unhealthy romantic relationships. I say a lot, two different um, unhealthy <laughs> romantic relationships at different times um, that were extremely codependent and at times manipulative, again, to get my my emotional needs met and to feel seen and heard. Um, and when anyone is going through that much emotional processing of being severely depressed, being in and out of treatment, trying to be in a romantic relationship is going to be ineffective. Mm. Um, I know people will do it, so I can't speak for everyone. Um but in my experience, when those emotions were so big and overwhelming and I was processing so much, kind of navigating through that with another person caused them to be very overwhelmed and stressed out and depressed. Um, just as I was feeling, then those emotions became codependent um, and navigating that became very effective and another stressor. Um, I had a lot of conflict with my parents. Um, I became pretty isolated from my friendships. Um, I, my diet was either I was eating too much or I was not eating enough. Um, and there was a kind of like pendulum effect going on and then different behaviors to try and like counteract that eating too much or not enough. Yeah. I dove 110% into my schoolwork and I would come home and I would be working on random assignments from 5 p.m. till 7 a.m. the next morning and I I wasn't sleeping and so I'd be exhausted during the day but I had this idea that if I went to sleep I had to wake up and feel depressed and it would all happen all over again um so I was deteriorating I was falling apart all these basic parts of life that allow us to function effectively and happily whether it's relationship sleep diet exercise um none of those were intact and they were all slowly falling apart and getting worse and worse and worse and at the same time my mental health was doing the same thing and so 
my I was very lucky in that my parents did everything they could to get me the support that I needed. They saw that I was struggling um, and they, they wanted to support me through that and help me through that. And so I tried everything you can imagine at home, whether that was inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment, group therapy, individual therapy, um, family therapy, DBT, CBT, like you name it, I tried it. Um, and I didn't see a shift in my mood. I was still struggling with these behaviors, these patterns mm. in my relationships. Um, and when I look back, I know why that was. It's because I was going through the motions. I was doing these therapies because I felt like I had to. I felt like I should because my parents told me I had to because clinicians told me it was necessary. Yeah. But I believed that I was meant to be depressed forever. I believe that that was just part of my my personality and my state of being. Um and that it was a flaw on my part that I couldn't navigate in the, the world in a way that made me less yeah. depressed because there was no reason why I should be depressed. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, I, I actually, I listened to prepare. I listened to one of your interviews and I heard you saying that um, you thought you were deserving of depression. Yeah. Um, and yet I found that, so, that it struck me. I never kind of um, heard about kind of this mindset. Do you think it's like a common one that you felt like this is supposed to be happening to you I think it's more common in adolescence this is again with no science backing this is just from my personal yeah. experience I can imagine it being more common in adolescence because you already have this gap in memories from say like before age four um yeah and you're extremely emotionally sensitive based on how you're developing. Your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. You are leaning much more on emotions than you are logical processing. Um, you are not able to create your own support system completely independently. You're still living with your parents. A lot of your environment is defined by them, whether it's school or clubs or after school activities. Um, so I think that you're much more susceptible to feeling depressed and overwhelmed and stressed as a teen than in any other state of your life. Like there's really that universal experience of being like, oh, teenage years sucked. Like those were awkward and <laughs> annoying and terrible and so glad I'm yeah. away from those. Like everyone can relate to that. Um, and so I think the feeling of deserving depression is more common in those years because if depression is something that's building up for you over time, which is what it was for me, of course, for some people, it is a much more um, rapid onset. But if it's building up for years and years, it's all you can remember. Um, and if yeah. it's all you can remember, why would you think that your life would look like anything else or should look like anything else? Therefore, you must be deserving of that that just must be yeah, how your life that's so, is i've never thought about that but that makes so much sense like like it's your life those coping mechanisms that are not healthy that are actually making you even more depressed like you said you know not sleeping enough if that becomes your normal life and you don't remember any other way it's kind of well, you're the the air that you're breathing you don't know any other exactly. way it's Yeah, And when you have really low self-esteem, you get into all of these super negative um, thought patterns and, and mindsets, um, one of which for me was that I was deserving of depression and I wasn't deserving of being recovered and that this was just what my life was supposed to look like. Um, and it was a flaw on my part that I couldn't not be depressed. Um, and so whatever your your thing is if you have low self-esteem as far as not being deserving of something or being deserving of something negative I think that's a super common experience for me I was deserving of being depressed and miserable for you it might be you're deserving of being isolated or um 
not eating this certain item or um, overworking yourself and being stressed out, like whatever it is for you that in that negative headspace you're getting into, it's a super common universal experience. And that was what I got into and just on a super, super big scale. And it was obviously detrimental to my mental health. And it got to a point where I wasn't able to continue functioning because my mental health had completely collapsed. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't engage in relationships. I could barely get out of bed in the morning. Um, And so the game changer for me was going to intensive treatment at a residential program called Three East at McLean Hospital. It's right outside of Boston. Whenever people ask me for a treatment recommendation or resources for a teen that's struggling with depression or anxiety, I always tell them about this program because it's what changed and saved my life. Um, And also, one of the reasons I started the podcast is because so many skills that I learned at that program would have been helpful earlier on in my journey and would be helpful to anyone that's struggling. Um, So I wanted to make that more accessible because, again, I was so lucky. Yeah, thanks so much. I think that's, uh, you know, sharing those kind of uh, places and, and tools, it's very important. Yeah, I was so lucky in that I had access to so many resources, and that's something that not everyone has um, an ability to, like, drop everything, drop out of school and go to treatment. And also, you may not need, like, that level of support, and yet you still want to better your mental health and be more skillful and effective. Um So that was the game changer. That was the pivotal point. And so when I look back, why therapy wasn't working for me up to that point, I mean, things were slowly maybe changing, but, like, nothing really breakthrough. I was still depressed. I was still suicidal. I was still extremely dysfunctional. Um, And what I attribute that to is going through the motions of therapy because I felt like I had to, I should for someone else, but I didn't truly believe that it was going to work because I believed I was destined to be depressed forever. Um, I never trusted other people to be able to help me. I never was like, this is me and all this mess and um, overwhelm that I can't handle myself. And I trust you enough to help me process through that and get to a better better point. And I never had enough self-love to want to live a better life for myself. There was never this like, oh, I care about myself enough to want to live a life worth living and have relationships that make me feel good. Um, and, and have routines that support my mental health. My self-esteem was so low that that just didn't exist. So those three shifts took place um, as soon as I started um, that residential program. Um, because when I got there, they made it very clear, like, you have to want to be here. You have to be invested in doing the work. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. And you know this because you've been doing therapy for two years and nothing's changed. Um, so you have to want to get better. You have to trust us to let you get better. Um, And you have to believe that this will work. And so I made that shift because it was really scary to me to go somewhere else where I didn't have that autonomy and didn't have that control. And so during those 14 weeks that I was at that residential program, I did everything from learning how to effectively communicate with my parents to understanding what happened when I was anxious and what was going through my head to having a regular sleep pattern and actually eating like consistent meals throughout the day. Um, Anything and everything you can imagine, I kind of dug into during my time there and I left no longer feeling suicidal, waking up for the first time in years, not feeling depressed and feeling capable of building my life worth living. And after that, I did um, a year and two months at a therapeutic boarding school to kind of like sustain that progress that I made before going back home um, and feeling confident enough to be able to cope effectively in that environment that before led me to be so depressed. Um, And so 
at the end of that treatment journey, I really did realize like if I, this person who thought they were deserving of being depressed and didn't think that they would ever live a life that they loved um, and just had every negative belief possible about their mental health could live a happy, fulfilling life as a teenager, then anyone could do it. And so I wanted to share my story because I didn't hear other teenagers that were fully recovered being like, hey, it's okay. You got this and it's possible and I am proof that it's possible. Um, And I wanted to make those resources more accessible. And so it was kind of a combination of those two things. And I started the podcast and sharing my story. Um, and it's because of that that I get to be sitting with you here today. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about my mental yeah. health journey. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so many things to unravel uh, there. I think um, what like the thing that really struck me that I can really relate to is trusting. Like you didn't feel like you can trust anyone to help you. Um, and I think a lot of people feel that with any sort of mental health um, thing they're going through, trusting is hard because in order to trust, you have to open up to someone. And in my case, it's hard to open up to someone because if I have to open up to someone, first I need to open up to myself. Um, and I think a lot of people... Uh, I mean, I guess a lot of people, you know, they use all of different kind of tools to dismiss those kind of red flags that maybe there is something going on here, that maybe the things that I use, the words that I tell to myself, the um, my relationship with working out or with uh, work or with food or with friends or with toxic relationships, um, we just kind of dismiss them. And we have to kind of trust ourselves that our problems are not, like, they're not changing our value. Like, if we say something about it, it doesn't mean that I am not a valuable person because I'm going through something. And I think it's so, it's hard. Um, and I'm curious, do you have any advice for building that trust first with yourself and knowing that I am enough, even though I am going through shit, I I am a valuable person. And then learning that if I give someone um, this fragile egg of my problems, they, they're going to take it with respect and um, make sure that it's, it's okay. Yeah, I think there's so many different... Um things there to unpack. I think the first is something that we should learn very on early on in life, but we don't always internalize, which is that we're not our emotions. Our emotions serve a purpose for us. Way back in caveman days when we had to fend off saber-toothed tigers, fear motivated us to run away and get help and, and react in a way that allowed us to survive. Our emotions were effective in an evolutionary way um and they still are our our need for connection and our feelings of loneliness loneliness motivate us to create relationships that improve our mental health and our stress about tests motivate us to do well um and and create a life for ourselves that allows us to live in this this world um in an effective way but those emotions are not us. They're not us as a person. So I can feel depressed, but that doesn't mean that part of my personality is now depression. Um, 
And that was something that I think I got really stuck in when I was struggling. I remember we would do these little like draw your personality, draw your different parts of yourself in, in group therapy. And I would draw like depression and anxiety. And and again, the more I explore this through the podcast, I understand that depression is an emotion, just like loneliness and anxiety is an emotion that we feel that's trying to tell us something, um, which is that you're living your life in a way that's making you really depressed and really sad and not as effective as you could be. Um, but I'm not depression. It's, it's, it's a signal that my body's trying to tell me, just like if you have a headache because you need to drink more water, your body's telling you to drink more water and you're getting dehydrated. Not that you are a headache. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just not how that works. And I think that that gets really disconnected. And so emotions are really, really messy and really difficult. And that's something that I've always struggled with. I am very sensitive. I feel my emotions in a really big way. And feeling my emotions was so painful for so long that I taught myself to not feel them at all or to suppress them. But if we don't feel our emotions, we can't deal with them and we can't heal from them. Um, and that's something that um, someone I follow on, follow on Instagram says all the time. Her Instagram is at Hey Tiffany Rowe, and she always says, feel, deal, heal. Um, as mm. far as processing through your emotions. And I love that. Um, so I think if we can separate our emotions from us as a being, that's the first step because your emotions don't impact you as a, as a person regarding your worthiness or your deservingness at all, because it's just not part of you. Um, it's a signal that you're getting in your head, but it's, it's not part of you fundamentally. Um, and so once you can separate those two, then you can do the self-work to have enough self-esteem and self-love and self-care to internalize the message that you're worthy just as you are, whether you're feeling depressed or anxious or you're struggling or if you feel like you're not being skillful, you're still worthy and deserving of love and care and support and healthy relationships and a life that you love. Everyone is, no matter who you are or where you come from, you are deserving of that. Um... And that takes repetition, that takes rewiring thought patterns, that takes a lot of internal work to understand that message. But I think the first step is detaching your emotions from your understanding of self. Um, and then the third thing that I'll mention there, once you kind of have that distinction and you want to get support because you understand that these emotions are really big and overwhelming and you don't know how to navigate those, but you're still worthy of support because we all are. Is, is asking someone that you trust, and especially for teens, I always say to go to an adult that you trust. I love teens. All of my friends are my age, right? But I, a teen is not going to be qualified and give you good advice. Like, yeah. go to your friends if you're, like, going through a tough breakup, if you did got a bad grade on a test, if you're having a bad day. But when you're struggling with something as big as depression and anxiety – go to an adult, go to a professional. I promise it's just a better um, route for support. Um, but I always say that the hardest thing that I ever did throughout my entire treatment journey, those two and a half, three, four years of um, therapy and, and really intense self-work was for that first time asking for help. And that was when I was at the pediatrician and soon after the hospital and I was completely numb to everything I was feeling and I was so disassociated from what was going on around me and I was just consumed with this depression um and it was so such a difficult thing because when I asked for help yeah. I was acknowledging that a I was depressed 
And mm-hmm. acknowledging that meant that I couldn't just compartmentalize it anymore and ignore it and hope that it would go away. That meant that this is a real thing that I'm struggling with. Um, and asking for help and verbalizing yeah. that meant putting it out into the world. And I couldn't erase it and ignore it and make it go away. Like, I was now telling someone and then yeah. they were going to check in on me, right? Um and there's also that third kind of fear of rejection or that they will be like, mm, everyone experiences that. What are you talking about? Just like get through it. Um, and so you don't know how people are going to respond. But the great thing about asking for help is that you're no longer navigating this thing alone. No one is going to fight your battles for you. No one's going to solve your depression for you. But you now have people in your corner that are there to offer validation and support and a shoulder to cry on. And you can utilize all of their resources that they're aware of and their insights and their um, their advice on how to navigate this. And I think that's so powerful and it makes it a lot easier to navigate your challenges because you're no longer doing it alone. So I stand firmly by the belief that asking for help that first time and acknowledging that you need support and that this is bigger than you is the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it's downhill from there because you have support, you have resources and you're not navigating this alone, but it is very, very hard, and it is very, very difficult. I think asking for help is, like, this game changer for a lot of people. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, like, if you imagine um, depression or anxiety or any sort of mental health problem as, like, this mountain, it's, like, it's starting to build up, build up, and on the top is asking for help, and then it kind of, sort of, uh, goes down. Um, But let's kind of look at that through the eyes of um, like the other person because I think it's one thing to ask for help but if you are the person that is asked if you are the person like the friend or the family member um, of someone who is struggling with that it can be hard Um, and I've been recently putting a lot of effort into being more inclusive into being more careful with the words that I use and you know I I want to understand other people better from all walks of life um and especially those who have different experiences and this is why why I want to ask um what are common misconceptions about depression and anxiety and how can we learn to be more um inclusive when yes someone wants to open up um to us and how can we help them without um without those misconceptions and without judgment and being the the friend the person that they really need i think it's a big question and it's super subjective depending on who you're you're supporting i think everyone's going to have different needs that they want to get met and everyone's going to um experience an interaction differently right um i think there's a couple of common misconceptions for both depression and anxiety one is that it's a a shortcoming of the person that's struggling that somehow they haven't been mentally tough enough to be able to make this thing go away um and I think in tangent with that um, is the belief that you should be able to make it go away by yourself, that you should be capable of navigating your mental health issues independently. Um, and I don't think that's true. I think that 
again, everyone is deserving and worthy of support and everyone should have access to those resources because we all experience mental health challenges. Um, and just like we wouldn't like try and like tough through some kind of physical illness or a broken leg and like heal that ourselves, we would go to a doctor and get support because that's what you do. And I think it should be the same approach for your mental health as well. Other common misconceptions. I think that there's a lot to unpack surrounding medications and mental health. Um, and that that's a quick fix or that that'll be a solution and there's not necessarily a need for doing deep internal work um, and rewiring your thought processes and changing your habits and building healthier relationships. Um, and so that's another common misconception. Um, there are so many misconceptions about treatment and therapy and what that's like um, and that it's really scary or daunting or that it's like crazy or that you don't need treatment because you're not at that point yet or you don't need therapy because you're not struggling that much or it hasn't gotten that bad um but therapy can be really powerful as a preventative measure and to maintain your mental health where it's at and use it for maintenance rather than like crisis control after things have gone gone um terribly um so there's just so 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 many misconceptions there um but I think a lot of them are our internal dialogues at least that's how I'm kind of thinking of it. I know there's so many where people are like, oh, mental health isn't real or depression isn't real. Um, like there's all of those that you could unpack. But I think from like a subjective perspective, believing that you're not bad enough to need therapy or support or that you don't um, deserve that or it's not a resource that's available to you. I think those are all things that you can easily kind of, not easily, but are more tangible to switch your mindset around because we can't control other people. We can only control ourselves. So if you can do the work to understand like therapy can be a really effective maintenance or preventative measure to maintain my mental health and I love myself enough to want to take that step. Um, as far as supporting someone, I think that there's a lot of different things that you can do. I think the first is to just be a good listener and to be there without necessarily giving advice immediately oh that's a big one and that's like the biggest mistake that I do is I through the podcast and through like getting used to giving advice I just kind of can throw up advice on people that don't actually Mm -hmm. maybe want it or need it yeah so just going into into interactions when someone is like coming to you and just being like hey do you want advice here do you want me to just listen and like they'll appreciate you asking because they know whether they want advice or just a listener um and then you can meet their needs um and another thing that you can do if they just want a good listener is validation which is huge validation is the idea that you are giving someone the emotional space to feel what they're feeling you're acknowledging that their emotions are valid and okay and real Um, But you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to agree with their behaviors, but you're saying that their emotions, beliefs, values, um, thoughts, those are valid. Um, And so if someone comes to you and is like, I'm really struggling, I'm feeling really depressed, I'm feeling really overwhelmed, if you're validating them, and so maybe the behavior that's going on there is they've been in bed for four weeks and haven't done anything, they haven't gone to school, they've fallen behind in responsibilities, you don't have to agree with how they've coped with the emotion of depression. But you can say, that must be really hard. Like, I can see that you're really struggling and I'm I'm here for you and I just can't even imagine what's going on. Um, and I just, 
I, I see how much pain you're in. So you're validating them. You're creating space for what they're experiencing. But you don't, that doesn't mean, and I think it's great that you've taken four weeks off from all your responsibilities to watch Netflix. Like that's not being said. You're saying their emotions are valid, even if you don't agree with their behaviors. Um, and validation is extremely powerful to create supportive relationships and to help someone feel heard and understood and seen. Um, and you're creating the foundation for them to come back in the future if they need more support. If they feel validated and seen, they're more likely to come back and think, I really need help and can you help me get this resource? Or things are really, really tough and I just want you to be aware of that so that someone else knows that I'm struggling. Um, so that is a great way to help build the relationship. Um, but really just looking at it through a compassionate lens. How can I be kind? How can I put myself in their shoes? Does how they're acting and thinking and talking make sense given their lived experiences? Um, what could they possibly be feeling um, to make them act this way or speak this way, etc.? Um, so really just a lot of compassion and validation and curiosity about what they're experiencing and being careful to see if they want advice or just support. Yeah, I think um, something that I had to learn is I am not here to save anyone and I can't actually save anyone. I can't change anyone. I cannot uh, change anyone's mind about things. It's like I can only be here um, and be an example and if someone's someone wants to follow or someone wants to try they will ask me and I will be there for them if they do but I cannot you know like I said throw up with advice um, and it's hard but I think it's important uh, for anyone listening if your loved ones uh, have a depression if there is if there's that in your family or friends I know I really know the feeling um personally and it's it's a sucky one because it, sometimes it hurts you more um than maybe it hurts that that person because that person sometimes you know um, they have coping mechanisms then they they do not even yeah. feel it and I think we have yeah. higher thresholds for our own emotional pain than we do for other people like for me when I was struggling I would never ever wish what I was experiencing on someone else but I thought I was deserving and totally fine feeling it myself um and so it's it's really different what what we allow others to experience versus ourselves. And I also want to add in here, especially if you're a teenager, the importance of professional resources. Again, going back to the broken leg example, if your friend comes to you and is like, oh my gosh, I just broke my leg. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm here for you. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, are you okay? But you wouldn't be like, oh, let me try and fix your leg for you, right? <laughs> so if someone comes to you and is exactly. like, I'm struggling with depression, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm here for you. I'm so sorry. Like, are you okay? But we're not going to be like, okay, yes, now let me like unpack these relationships. You're like, okay, <laughs> now let's go to a doctor, right? So it's putting that in perspective and remembering that's not your job. Exactly. There's a reason that people go to school for years and years and years and have years and years of training and work with teams of clinicians to help people navigate mental health challenges um, and it's not something that you should or be expected to take on by yourself because it's huge and overwhelming and um, there's so many professional resources out there for a reason whether that's therapy or school counselors um, psychiatrists um, I think that there's something really powerful to educating yourself on what your life can look like through podcasts and books and all of these things like I was so stuck in my blinders on um, experience of my life is depression. I am depression. This is what it's meant to be that I didn't know that like 
I could even possibly not be depressed or like these things could be in my life and bring me joy. So opening your eyes to what you want your life worth living to look like and how you can potentially get there. Um, but yeah, so many resources and you should definitely take advantage of those or refer your loved one to take advantage of those. I think thinking of um, mental health problems and treating them as you would have physical problems is very helpful, especially that, you know, sometimes like the reason is like physical changes in your brain. Sometimes it's not that, you know, something happened to you. Sometimes it's just that really some kind of physical change happened in your brain. It's like you're, you can injure your brain just like you can do your knee. Um, so in that way, uh, it really sometimes just can be that and it can be, you know, that you just need to go to a doctor and, um, changing that mindset, um, especially that, you know, first we did not have any conversations about mental health, which sucked. Then we had conversations about mental health, but they were very stigmatized and, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, kind of name calling and, um, stereotypes. I mean, when I was like a kid, I know, and I had friends that were either like depressed or had eating disorders, they were very excluded. You know, suddenly it was like, you know, the teachers, the parents, they didn't want you to hang out with those kids. Um, and I think now, going to another phase of just like making it normal, it's so important because it is normal. Everyone, again, like coming back, I don't know a single person who hasn't struggled with mental health in a, I mean, I'm in a serious way. Everything with mental health is serious. I completely agree. Um, just like we all have physical health, we all have mental health as well. And whether that for you, taking care of that looks like prevention, maintenance, or um or like crisis intervention um we're, we're all doing the work and we're constantly doing the work and if we're not progressing we're digressing and so it's it's important to remember that, that no matter where you're at even if you're subconsciously improving your mental health by like keeping on top of your sleep and your relationships and having things in your life that motivate you and keep you inspired um I think a lot of people that are like navigating the world really effectively are doing a lot of these things without realizing it um and so I, I completely agree with you. Um, I am a big follower of the notion that to have good relationships and to be kind and loving to others, first you have to figure out that relationship with yourself and be kind to yourself. Um, so I'm curious uh, if we like um, can move to kind of what happens when you do the work. Um, I'm curious, how has your recovery and journey with um, also therapy affected uh, the relationships that you have with other people? Um, and what would be your advice to people struggling to connect uh, with their peers and family who are not yet recovered? I mean, every everything was a game changer um, as far as my relationships. Like I touched on, like I was in extremely codependent, unhealthy relationships. My relationship with my parents was just conflict. Like that was all it was and a lot of anger and, um, and sadness there. I didn't really have relationships with my siblings. I was isolated from my friends or I was only leaning on them for support and not vice versa. Um, whereas now I feel like I have really healthy relationships in my life and I am 
able to reciprocate the support that people give me when I need it. And I'm able to have healthy communication patterns um, and be there as a support system for my siblings and have a healthy relationship with my parents and be engaged and present in my relationships with my friends. Um, and that all came from doing the work on myself. It's just like when you're on a plane and that you're they're doing a safety briefing and they're like, before you put a um, life vest on your child, if you're traveling with an infant, put one on yourself. And the reason they do that is because if you put a life vest, or not a life vest, an oxygen mask, <laughs> if you put an oxygen mask on the infant, but then you pass out from lack of oxygen, the infant, sure, they're breathing, but they're left there alone, not able to navigate the situation, and they can't get off the plane because they're an infant. But if you put on your oxygen mask first, even if you're, the infant passes out, you can then put one on them, they'll go ahead and be okay, and you can both effectively navigate the situation. So you can't help others before you help yourself. Um... And so that's the first step is doing the work to be able to make maintain your own mental health. And even today, like I know that I have to have boundaries as far as supporting other people. Like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life is have these conversations about mental health and support others. And I know that that doesn't always serve me. And so I can steer conversations in certain directions and only output a certain level of support for others like not in a selfish way but being like I'm here for you like call me whenever you need to but then not putting it on myself to call them every three minutes to pick are you okay how are you doing right so it's setting boundaries that take care of your own mental health so you can be there when they really need it um if you are interacting with someone who has not yet done the work I think again it's it's going through a lens of compassion validation um and really creating moments for them that fall into the category of their life worth living, being a kind of escape for them to have good moments and laugh and spend time together and boost their mood and be there as a resource so that when they're struggling, they know that you're there to support them and help them feel better. And so that would be my advice is be someone that they love to be around and that can help them feel better. And when they do come to you with these heavy topics, looking at it through a lens of curiosity, c compassion, and validation. Thank you so much for that advice. I think it's um, yeah, it's hard to navigate in. You know, no one teaches that. And it's like, sometimes I feel like, you know, give me a kind of just a workbook with everything regarding mental health. And I think this should be taught at school. And that's what DBT is. It's like literally a book this big of all of the skills you need to navigate every area of your life. And that's why I loved it so much because it was so tangible and it wasn't these abstract ideas of, okay, you're going to like do the work and shift your mindset and develop self-love. It was like, these are the steps you're going to take to make this exact change. Oh my God, that's so awesome. You mean, you mean uh, DBT like the dialectical behavioral therapy? Yeah. Uh, so mm -hmm. yeah, I actually wanted to talk about, about that. So can you talk about the like everything about you know what it is and those steps that they presented because I'm really curious about that and I actually haven't heard about uh, that before. Yeah so DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy is a type of therapy that was initially developed by Marsha Linehan for adults that were struggling with borderline personality disorder and were really struggling with suicidality. Um, and so when we look at borderline personality disorder, there's like these certain traits that um, make up this diagnosis, right? And you have to meet a certain number of them. But these things are like low mood, it's, um, it's relationships that are struggling, um, it's low self-esteem, it's um, um, like all of these different patterns, right? It's, it's suicidality, it's ineffective coping mechanisms. 
So a lot of these show up in other diagnoses as well. So having low mood and effective relationships, low self-esteem also shows up in depression. So there's been dozens of studies that show the effectiveness of DBT um, now in different age ranges for different diagnoses. And so especially for adolescents struggling with depression and anxiety, it's extremely effective at decreasing symptoms and, and suicidal ideation and feelings of depression. Um, and so what DBT is, is a couple of different um, components. One is the skills book and the skills education. And so what this is, is a bunch of modules, mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, and distress tolerance. And that's broken down into a ton of skills within each of those modules. And what it's doing is it's teaching you how to be more interpersonally effective, how to live in the moment, how to um, regulate your emotions, and how to tolerate distress. And so all of these things, a lot of them are things that people that are being effective and skillful in their lives, they're already doing them. But when we're really severely struggling in big ways, we develop maladaptive coping mechanisms. We move further and further away from being skillful. So to have this really tangible way to relearn these effective um, skills is really powerful and effective for many. So that's the skills. And I go into so much detail on the podcast and on my Instagram about what those skills are and how you can implement them. Um, and it's like a six to eight week process to learn all the skills. So like, obviously, I can't give you them all on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and it is like an intensive um treatment but the skills are so powerful and applicable to so many people um the other components of dbt is individual therapy so you're working with a therapist to navigate things that arise whether it's conflict or um or mood or behaviors that pop up um if you're doing it on an outpatient basis you also have phone coaching to get support outside of therapy when you need it and then lastly is um, that your therapist was working on a t- with a team of clinicians. And so you're constantly working in a really collaborative setting to make sure that you're getting the best possible treatment that's in line with the DBT recommendations and what the studies show to be effective. Yeah, I mean, I am really a big proponent of science-based um, advice and kind of steps and plans, like a plan that you can follow. Uh, because mental health, because it's not exactly visible, um, not not always, um, it's all very often the advice is kind of very vague. Like you have to mm-hmm. love yourself, you know, build a relationship with yourself, you know, do that, and it's sometimes can be very frustrating. Like what what does self love mean? If you like, if you grow up in this space of depression and thinking that you deserve to feel bad, like self love means such like this buzzword and nothing really specific, I think. So it sounds like th- having this book that you can open and read, just like they teach us in in school, um, because since we are born, this is the way we learn things. Uh, so having that, I think it seems very useful. Yeah, I have to read definitely more about that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I really hope it's the direction that all mental health treatment um, moves towards, which is evidence-based and, 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 and proven in clinical studies um, for various age groups and diagnoses, because right now we're, we're not seeing enough of that. There's a lot of like, let's try this, or I know from personal experience that this worked. Yeah. And that works for some people, but I think it, it's it's necessary for us to be using evidence-based treatments that are ethical and effective 
um, and shown to work because someone struggling with their mental health isn't a guinea pig to be like, let's try this. It's like yeah. they need support. They need help. Just like someone with a broken leg, they wouldn't be like, let's just like try no cast. Let's just see if that works. <laughs> like you would do what has been tried and true for years, which is to put on a cast and get x-rays and all these things, right? Same thing for mental health. And we're still moving in that direction. Um, I'm curious, what are uh, some of your, uh, like, not favorite or maybe, like, most funny to you pieces of uh, pseudoscience that you found out there? Because there's so many opinions about overcoming, you know, depression and building mental health. And I'm, I'm just saying that they're opinions because I they are. They're just that. Many of them are not facts. And what have you found frustrating uh, in, for example, the online space? Um, when it comes to that pseudoscience I think what gets problematic is when you isolate like one behavior or habit like going on a walk or sitting in the sun for five minutes or drinking tea before bed and being like this will heal your depression like maybe having a routine that incorporates those things will help you to improve your mental health but that in isolation is not going to immediately make you not depressed um so I think it's it's when things get pulled out of like a comprehensive treatment plan or protocol that things are not as effective and are like, that's not going to work. Um, but everyone is different. Um, things were like maybe a sleepy time tea is like exactly what you need to not feel depressed. Like who knows? Um, but there's, there's a lot out there. Um, that people have found from experience to be effective um, but aren't necessarily evidence-based or might not work for everyone. So I think it's just remembering like what is universally shown to be effective and what is just like someone saying, hey, this worked for me, you should try it. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. This has been so lovely and I think, again, so helpful. I mean, for me, I learned so much and I hope that all the listeners um, can find it helpful as well. I'm going to link some resources if you um, do not feel great about life and your relationships and the relationship you have with yourself, please check out the links that are going to be in the episode description because resources are important. And Sadie, I want to thank you so much. This has been so great. And if you have any kind of uh, sort of things that you would like to say directly to the listeners or a quote that you would like to share or like ask them of something, um, please feel free. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I really do hope it helps whoever's listening. Um, I'll just leave them with that you're not alone. And I think mental health issues can be extremely isolating because no one else can ever truly understand what you're feeling. No one else can be in your head and and understand exactly what emotions you're processing. Um, but that's the other great thing, which is that we all have emotions, so we can all relate to some extent to what you're experiencing, and that can be very unifying. And so um, ask for help. It's the hardest step, but it's downhill from there. And um, and you're deserving of a life that you love, and you're, you're worthy of that just as you are right now. Yeah, thanks so much. Of course. Um, where the listeners can find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, so my podcast is called She Persisted. You can find it on all listening platforms. Um, my website for more information on DBT and the podcast in me is ShePersistedPodcast.com. And I'm most active on Instagram at, at ShePersistedPodcast. Yeah, thanks so much. And I'll see you soon, hopefully. Oh.
loved this so much. I think gaining new perspectives and learning about different people's experiences is recently one of my favorite things. I think it makes me so much more empathetic and I really want to be empathetic, you know. Um, thanks so much, Sadie, for coming. Uh, like I said, check out the links in the episode description. And now I want to talk about the inside of the week. Uh, for anyone new here, the inside of the week segment, it's just me sharing some thoughts uh, that I recently had in the past week or something that I realized or like a funny situation that I was in. Um, And recently, I was thinking about how I sort of changed in the last couple of years. Like even, you know, when I started this podcast a year ago, I was a completely different person than I am now, which is something that you can kind of notice by how the topics of the episodes changed and kind of this podcast shifted a bit. Um, and one of the things that I used to be and something that definitely has changed is that I became way more laid back or rather I became uh, way more uncertain but in a very good way uh, because you know, in a in the past I used to be very certain about things and I was very attached to my values and my worldview I held this deep pride in you know in being a liberal and being vegan and quote-unquote sustainable and being into productivity and being a morning person it's again it's all in you know quotes because my relationship with those labels changed a bit but I was really into you know being into wellness and all of that I was certain that these views were the correct ones and I you know I couldn't comprehend how other people could think differently than I did I literally used to think that people who were pro-life were just not educated enough and that was the problem um, and I know that it's not that simple you know and I think I just craved that certainty I think I hated not knowing and I wanted to listen to people who could tell me how things really are uh, and so I spent a lot of time listening to people who established themselves as those wise old you know scholars knowers people who could just tell me um, the real reality of the world in which I found myself and some of these people were aggressively religious and some were aggressively atheistic and some were conservative some were liberal um, but what they all had in common was that certainty that I found very attractive and so for a long time I adopted some of their views and I grew very attached to them But because I recently was forced to introduce some changes in my life and also, you know, I just expanded my knowledge by reading and by just, you know, growing up, um, I expanded my knowledge about the world and different scientific perspectives and about the incredible difference in people's realities. You know, I realized that the world is just too complex to be certain about anything because nothing is black and white in fact i would say everything is subjective like take ethics for example everyone will draw the line between what is ethical and what is not ethical differently and so since literally everything is subjective and we cannot know anything you know in 100% i just realized that i shouldn't be attached to my beliefs and look I'm not saying that it's bad to be kind of loyal to your 
values and your worldview if you are then good on you but what I learned for myself is that for all I know I can be wrong about anything that I think now is true I mean take the ancient Greeks you know they used to believe that the sun was just the god Apollo that is riding across the sky in this uh, fiery chariot and they were certain about that just like I am now certain that it's better to buy an electric car than, you know, a regular one. I just think that we don't know what we don't know. So if that's the case, how can I be certain about anything? And so I kind of decided, probably unconsciously, to just embrace this uncertainty and let go of this attachment that I hold for my values and again I think letting go of attachment is you know key in you know happiness and decreasing suffering you know the Buddhists say that attachment leads to suffering so I think even in this case when it comes to letting go of attachment to our values that can also be very beneficial and I would say this has also made me a more empathetic person since I stopped believing that I am right and other people are wrong because it may well be the case that it's that way around. And what I really want to focus on now is um, to strive to understand other people's perspectives and experiences without judging them. Because really, what's the point of judging anyone's opinions if that judgment is also just an opinion it's not a fact it's not truth it's just my opinion about other people's opinion and it may as well change in the next week or in the next hour so I sort of stopped trusting myself stopped trusting my judgments and the views that I now hold and I think it is very freeing and more than that, I also started to question the opinions of other people. I mean, I really don't trust now anyone that is very certain about something. Especially when it comes to, you know, those big topics like religion or spirituality. And yeah, I just don't believe anyone who thinks they figured out the way to enlightenment. Because how can anyone be certain about any of these things? And now that, that's not to say that enlightenment or, you know, capital A awareness are impossible. I just think they are, you know, pretty uncommon. I kind of got philosophical here. Um, but to get even more philosophical, because, you know, why the hell not? Socrates famously said that the more I know, the more I realize that I know nothing. And I found that so true for me and for my experience in those past couple of years because because of all of the experiences I went through and all the knowledge that I gained through these experiences and through also you know reading and meeting uh, new people I realized how wrong I can be and how often I am wrong and I realized that nothing is truly certain and I talked about this with my friend recently and she said something interesting which was that you know the more people know the more knowledge they have the more they start to not trust and they start to question things and she said that this is why you know people who don't have an access to education they 
really have a strong attachment to their views and they can be very aggressive in protecting those views and and then I said something which was that in that way ignorance is not bliss because I prefer to not be in the state of ignorance when I don't know a lot of things and the things that I do know I am very attached to them and I protect them and I get really angry when people have different opinions because then I can burn myself out I can be very aggressive and angry all the time because I just feel very frustrated that people do not agree with me so in that way ignorance is the opposite of bliss ignorance is being angry and being frustrated and not knowing that you know It doesn't matter what people think because (laughs) we know nothing. Oh, I really am philosophical here. I hope that you don't mind this. I hope that you can find that interesting and that you can relate um, to my experience in any way. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, Like I said, again, I'm going to link some resources in the episode description if you struggle with happiness right now. Remember that you are not alone and that we love you and you are always welcome to email us or DM us on Instagram Instagram. I love to chat with you and if I can be of any help then I would love to and at the end like I always say when you smile you make the world seem like a more beautiful brighter place so smile for me for yourself and for the people that are going to pass you on this street I love you and I'll speak to you in the next episode being better is edited and produced by Julia Spohr you can learn more about the show and about other work over at our website beingbetter.info and the Instagram is at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is by word of mouth. So if you can, please tell your family, your friends, and what the hell, also tell your enemies. You know, we don't discriminate on this podcast. So tell them about the show, tell them about why you like it and about why you like the incredibly amazing and very humble host. You can also share it on social media platforms and if you tag us, we'll make sure to reply. Thank you so much for joining us today and I'll speak to you very, very soon.